Well, kia ora and welcome to this online service and to our Connect Church family here on the Kapiti Coast. Again, we are missing you big time. And to all our New Life family all over New Zealand, we're moving into level three. And I pray you're as excited as I am about that. I pray this message today will bless, encourage and equip you. So let's take a moment and really just pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's life to us. We thank you that your Holy Spirit today would work in each of our hearts, wherever we are throughout the country. Lord, we pray you would touch, minister, and stir those things in our lives that we need to move or shift or uh, that you could shape in today's message. And so we just pray, Father God, your blessing on these words that I speak today. In Jesus' name, and everybody in living rooms everywhere said, Amen. Amen. Today is part two of God, if you're good, why is there bad? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why on earth at the moment are we going through all this COVID-19 craziness at the moment? God, everything in my nice little world. I mean, I had 2020 down packed. I had it planned. But God, everything in my nice little world has changed in just a matter of a few weeks. So God, if you really loved us, if you really loved me, surely you would have stopped this because God, you're good, right? And if you're good, how could you allow bad? In last week's message, we saw the question, God, if you're good, why is there bad? It's not a Bible problem. The Bible never hides any of it. The Bible never hides bad. The Bible teaches plainly that God is good and that there is pain, suffering, and bad in the world. Why, of course, do we feel this question so strongly now? Well, the answer simply is this, that bad pain, suffering has touched us in a way that other tragedies, things that we watch on the news, hasn't touched us. It's touched us, it's come close, it's come near and has become intensely personal because we are experiencing it. But the fact that bad exists is a philosophical problem. The argument goes this way. Either God is all-powerful, but not all-good, and therefore allows bad, pain, suffering and evil and does not stop it, or God is good, uh, but unable to stop bad, which means he's not all-powerful, therefore not God. We closed off last week's message saying Augustine, who was one of Christianity's great theologians and philosophers, he wrestled with this question, God, if you're good, why is there bad? And he stated the problem like this, God created all things. Evil is a thing. Therefore, he concluded, God created evil. And of course, that means if God, God is good, how or why would he do that? You know, as Augustine wrestled with this over time, he realized his second premise was false. And that made his third premise, God created evil, wrong. He thought, while evil is real, evil is not a thing. Evil is not created. 
Evil does not and cannot exist on its own or by itself. What do I mean by that? See, evil only exists as a lack or a deficiency of a good thing. For example, darkness is not a thing. Darkness is merely what? Darkness is merely the absence of light. Think about it. Cold cannot exist by itself. Cold is merely what? Cold is merely the absence of heat. Think of it this way. If you take the rust out of the car, you have a better car. However, if you take the car out of the rust, you have nothing. Here's another example. If you take the cut out of your finger, you have a better finger. If you take the finger out of the cut, you have nothing. In other words, bad pain, suffering and evil only make sense against a backdrop of good. C.S. Lewis, the writer of the famous Narnia series, was a renowned atheist who converted to Christianity and he too wrestled with the problem of bad and evil and came to this conclusion. He said, as an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and so unjust. He said, but then I thought, how have I got this idea of just and unjust? How have I come to that conclusion? See, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of what a straight line is. And he said this, and I think it's a powerful statement. He said, the shadows prove the sunshine. See, there can be sunshine without shadows, but there cannot be shadows without sunshine. C.S. Lewis said this, As an atheist, what was I comparing the universe with when I call it unjust? If I'm saying the universe is crooked or wrong, how do I even know that? How do I know what is straight and right? See, we can say something is crooked, only because we know what is straight. Think about it and how we use words. When we use words to describe bad or something that's wrong or evil, we many times use negations of good things to illustrate it. For instance, we'll say something is unjust, meaning justice is this and this is not justice. We will say something is unfair, meaning Fairness is this, and this is not fair. We'll say something is dishonest, meaning honesty is this, and this is not honesty. See, we can only know what bad is because we know what good is. To know what is false, you must know what is true. You can only identify the counterfeit by knowing what is real. The shadows prove the sunshine. There can be sunshine without shadows, but there can't be shadows without sunshine. In other words, there can be good without bad, but we cannot know what bad is without first knowing what good is. C.S. Lewis said, evil is just spoiled goodness. I want to tell you, the Bible teaches that God is good. And because He is good, that allows us, you and me, to determine what is not.
When a person says bad exists or evil exists, what are they doing? They are appealing to some type of objective morality, some type of objective standard outside of themselves. They're appealing to a sense that I think is in us all of real right and real wrong. You know, the atheist even will regularly point out the bad or evil done in the name of God in an effort to show how evil religion is. But to do that, the atheist has to, as C.S. Lewis puts it, he has to steal from God. They have to steal from God the idea of objective morality in order to argue against him. They have to appeal to a sense of right and wrong, good and bad, to prove the point. But to the atheist, I say you can't have it both ways. Because here's what you must understand. If there is no God, as the atheist proclaims, there is no such thing as bad or evil. If the atheistic worldview is true, all behaviors really are just a matter of preference, just a matter of opinion. To say this is wrong or that is wrong, in the atheistic material worldview, the question will always be, says who? Because if it's just you, it's just your opinion. If the atheistic material worldview is all that there is, please understand there is no real right or wrong. People use the term today, you've got to find your truth. You know, what's your truth? Friends, can I just be honest here today and uh, say, listen, the truth is the truth. Either something is true or it's not. People who say there is no real truth, just to ask them, is that true? Because if it is true, there is at least one real truth. These are self-defeating arguments. See, the existence of bad and evil, in my opinion, does not negate God's existence, but rather it adds weight to the idea that God, a good God, exists. It proves God rather than disproves Him. Because God is good, that allows us to determine what is not. And for me personally, this answers the philosophical question, God, if you're good, why is there bad? But then the question becomes, of course, how could a good God allow bad? Well, let me put it this way. When God created mankind, Adam and Eve, He created them, as we know, in Genesis, perfect. God said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, God said of His creation, He said, it was good, it, it's, it's good. But in that creation time, man was given the freedom to obey or disobey God. We call it free will. And we know, if you know the Bible story, man chose to disobey. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Sin came in through one man. Some, of course, will say, why didn't God make it so we couldn't sin? And the truth is he could have. But here's the thing. True love must be expressed voluntarily. 
Someone said this, if love's not given freely, it's not love. J.B. Phillips said this, evil is inherent in the risky gift of free will. Because we have freedom, because you and I have freedom, people have the freedom to follow God, but they also have the freedom to reject Him. Because we have the freedom to love Him, people also have the freedom to hate Him. Because we have the freedom to do good, we have also the freedom to choose evil. We can choose life or death. See, the freedom to follow allows for the freedom not to follow. And the exercise of free choice in the, in the direction of evil is what the Bible calls the fall of man. See, God's desire is that we would freely live for Him, but that same freedom creates the choice to freely not live for Him. The sunshine makes the shadows possible. To live according to His way, we can see a blessing. It's interesting to me that the word live, spelt backwards, spells evil. When we live our lives opposite to how God intended, often the result is exactly that, evil and bad. People ask then, why doesn't God just wipe out evil? Why doesn't He just wipe the slate clean? And according to the Scriptures, He did once. I'm sure you've read the story of Noah. God did judge and does judge sin and wickedness. The problem is, though, Romans tells us in Romans 3.23 that we are all sinners, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He could destroy sin and evil, but in doing so, He would destroy you and me. But see, here's the good news. Lamentations 3 verse 22 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we, you and I, are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. And so understand this. This is important. God did not create evil. But freedom makes evil possible. God did not create bad. But freedom makes bad possible. We have the freedom to choose God, but with that freedom comes the freedom to reject Him also. I mean, we get a picture of this at the crucifixion. If you remember the story of the crucifixion, Christ was crucified between two crosses. Those two crosses were on either side of Jesus. They symbolize perhaps one of God's greatest gifts, the gift of choice. We have two criminals condemned to the same death, surrounded by the same crowd, equally close to Jesus. But one made the choice and changed. And Luke, it tells us, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, don't you fear God? 
since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today that you will be with me in paradise. One changed. But what about the one who did not? Jesus gave both criminals the freedom to choose. You know, there are so many areas of our life where we have no freedom to choose things. You, for instance, didn't choose your family. You didn't choose your brothers or sisters. You didn't choose your race, your birthplace. You didn't choose the size of your nose, the color of your eyes or hair. When it came to your life, your life, my life, we weren't given a voice or a vote. But when it comes to your eternity, you are. The thief on the cross who cried out to Jesus, we, we know little about him. We, we know he had made some bad mistakes in life. He'd chosen the wrong crowd, maybe done some things that were morally wrong, had, had lived with wrong behavior, yet in the end, all of his bad choices were redeemed by one solitary good one. You've made some bad choices over the course of your life, and sometimes uh, you can look back over your life and say, if only I'd done this, if only I'd done this, and, and if only I could make up for those bad choices. And I want to say to you today, you can. One good choice for eternity offsets the many bad choices we can make in life. But here's the thing. The choice is yours. How could two men see the uh, same Jesus and one choose to mock him and the other choose to pray to him? Well, I don't know, but they, they did. And when one prayed, Jesus loved him enough to save him. And when one mocked, Jesus loved him enough to let him. He allowed him the choice. And he does the same for you. God even gives us these eternal choices. And these eternal choices have eternal consequences. I want to ask you today, what will you choose? Do you need to get right with God today. You have that same choice. Uh, these choices, as I've said, will affect your eternity. Would you say yes to Him today? He knocks on the door of your heart, but only you can open. Would you open your heart to Him today? You may say here that I'm not worthy. I'm bad. I, I, I need to try more. I need to be a much better person. Can I remind you that the, the thief hanging on the cross, that criminal could do nothing to earn his salvation. He could do nothing but ask Jesus. See, the work of the cross is not about what we can do, but about what Christ has done. The criminal on the cross could do nothing to earn his salvation. He could do nothing but trust Jesus. Would you trust Jesus today? Would you give your life into His hands? If that's you, let's pray this prayer 
together as we surrender our lives to Jesus. Maybe you've been going to church for a while and you, you, you realize, man, I have not fully surrendered my life. Maybe you've been trying to do things. You've been trying to prove yourself or get brownie points for God and you'll realize that really it's just about trusting Him. Maybe you need to pray this prayer today. So if that's you, wherever you are in your living room or wherever it is that this message finds you, let's take a moment and repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I come to you today a sinner in need of a Savior. Today I turn from my sin and turn towards you. I give my life to you afresh. Lead me and guide me from this day forth. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close, let me pronounce a blessing over you and your family, wherever you are. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace.